0: everybody here this morning I invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 Revelation chapter 6 yesterday Dennis asked me he said uh, if you got any songs that may go good with your lesson let me know uh, or if not I'll have fun with it and I said have fun with it and he certainly did Ancient Words is one of my favorite songs that we sing. I love it. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but it seems like you've read Revelation chapters 6 through 8 before you uh, prepared those songs because some of them have a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, or at least some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't know how often you get uh, tornadoes around here. I know... uh, I think it was, was it two thousand and five when the big tornado hit Joplin, basically wiped out the whole town. Uh, but I can remember a time when I was a kid growing up in Henderson, Tennessee, is where I was living at the time. A big tornado hit that area, and I think it Jackson got the worst of it. Uh, but I went, back, I went to school the next day, and all my friends are talking about how they woke up in bathtubs, and they woke up in closets, they woke up in storm cellars, and, and they didn't know what was going on because they woke up in all these weird places, and I looked at them and I said, what are y'all talking about? We had slept through the whole thing. A <laughs> whole family slept through the tornado sirens and everything. A tornado could have come through and wiped us all out. We would have never known it. But everybody did what was best to try to protect their children and to protect their families at that time. Well, that's largely what Revelation chapter six through eight is about, or at least the first five chapters or the first five verses of chapter eight is about. And much of the book of Revelation is about this idea of judgment and protection. And so I want us to begin by talking about two specific things, uh, noting two very important things uh, that uh, are kind of introductory matters for uh, for this lesson. Notice first of all that the scroll is unsealed, but the people, God's people, are sealed. You remember last week we talked about chapter 5 and this, this scroll that's been sealed with seven seals. And John is weeping because nobody is worthy anywhere to open this book and to reveal its contents. But then the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, steps up to the plate. And he has the authority and the power and the right to open these seven seals and to let out that judgment on the earth. And so chapter 6 is a continuation of that idea with the opening of these seals. Now I watched when the Lamb, verse 1, opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a uh, a loud voice like thunder, Come. You'll find this construction going throughout the seven seals that they are unsealed. But you also find this idea of God's people being sealed, being protected. In chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The scroll is unsealed, revealing the judgment and the punishment on those who dwell on the earth, on the earth dwellers. But God's people are sealed for protection from this destruction that's going to happen to everybody else. The next thing I want us to notice is that this seems to fit with the teaching that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 21 the passage that was just read for us, we won't go there and read it again. But I call attention to this because there are a lot of things that Jesus said there that sound pretty similar to what's going on here. And so it's at least plausible it may be the case that as John is seeing all of these things and as he's writing what takes place, that he's remembering the things that he heard the Lord teach back during the destruction of Jerusalem, when he talked about the coming destruction that was going to come on Jerusalem. And so I think those are two things that are helpful for us to take note of as we begin studying this section of Scripture. Something else I think we need to take note of, though, is the interludes. Uh, When it comes to the seven seals, and then next week we'll see this again in the seven trumpets, uh, there seems to be there's an interlude, as people call it, between the sixth and the seventh seal, and between the sixth and the seventh sounding of the trumpet. It's kind of like a a preparation, excuse me, a preparation, if you will, for this seventh and final seal or trumpet. And so we'll see that there's very important information that's included in these interludes, even though they are definitely separating the uh, the fifth or the sixth and the seventh things that are happening. And so let's go ahead and, and look at these seven seals. And basically, I've chosen a 4-3 construction. That's how these seals are kind of arranged. And it all begins with probably something that you've noted before, the four horsemen. You've probably noticed these before, probably heard of these before, but you've got basically these four horsemen. And um, something happened with my PowerPoint. The TV screen came up. (laughs) But anyway, I don't know what happened, uh, but it's fine up here, but I'm sorry, that caught me so off guard I had to say something about it. I don't know if I want to watch uh, the tiger and the dragon or something, but, uh, but anyway, we've got these four horsemen, and this is an image taken from other places, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 6, or chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, we can find them there, but I want us to notice what these four horsemen represent. They all go together, and I think they, they form one lesson that we can learn. Thanks, Billy, I appreciate it. But you first got this, this, uh, this white horse that comes. After this four-leaving creature calls him to come, a white horse comes and he's got a rider with a bow in his hand and a crown's given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Basically the whole idea here is that this, the rider on this horse wants nothing but control. Conquering and control is the only thing that is uh, that is in mind when this seal is being uh, is is being uh, being opened. And so it's conquering. Now, it may be, some people have suggested that this is uh, somebody outside of the Roman Empire, another force like the Parthians or somebody. They were very skilled with the bow. Perhaps they are coming from the east and they're threatening the Roman Empire. That may be what's going on here. But it really doesn't matter because all that's meant here is that these people just want control. They just want to conquer and control as much of the world as they can. We move on to the second seal and there is a, uh, another horse, a bright red horse and its rider is permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. Here war and bloodshed is the picture. It's a bright red horse. Now this will give me an opportunity to talk about something that I think is very important. I think a mistake that we can make very easily in Revelation is to make every single detail mean something. Even if it's just a red horse and not a bright red horse, it means the exact same thing. The word bright does not add anything to this. I think John just adds the word bright for vividness, just adds some vividness to the the image. But it's a red horse signifying war and bloodshed. That's what's going on here. It may be civil war because they were permitted... Uh, Or So uh, people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And so you've got judgment coming from without upon the Roman Empire, war from without, and then you've also got war from within, perhaps. That's what's going on. In the first century, we certainly had people jockeying for position in the Roman Empire. All over the place, it happened a lot. And that may be what's being conveyed here. The third horse is a black horse. And we'll say a little bit more about this because we're given a lot more information about it. I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so they're weighing their food which shows that it's scarcity, it's, it's famine that's going on. What happens when people go to war? When people go to war, a lot of times the land suffers. Inflation goes up. People have a hard time getting the things that they need. And so that's what's going on here. People are weighing their food to make ends meet. But notice how expensive things are. You've got one denarius buys a quart of wheat, and one denarius buys three quarts of barley, the lesser of the wheat. One denarius is a day's wage. And so basically what this is, is I can work for one day, and at the end of that day, I only get enough money to buy food to feed my family. That's it. I don't have anything left over after that. Times are very difficult But John gives us another detail saying do not harm the oil and the wine. What may be going on here is while everybody else suffers during war, somebody gets rich off of it. And that may be what's exactly happening here. Everybody else is suffering because of this war, this bloodshed that's going on because everybody wants control. But there are others that are loving it because they're gaining all they can from it. You've got the fourth horse. As the fourth seal is opened, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts on the earth. Death and Hades always go together in Revelation. Death and Hades always go together in Revelation. And I think what's being signified here is both physical and spiritual death. You may remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. He said, don't fear those that can kill body only. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul, or destroy both body and soul in hell. And so death and Hades going together here, I think, is signifying not just physical death, but spiritual death that happens on people as well. But notice it only affects a fourth of the earth. It's a significant chunk, but it's limited. It's not full. That's all that means. But the four different uh, judgments in Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 1, these are the four major judgments Sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Sounds very similar to what Jesus said would happen in Luke chapter 21, the passage that we just read. This would happen when times were difficult for God's people. These are the things that they would be seeing right in front of Him. They wouldn't necessarily be on them, but they would be affecting them if that makes any sense. And so you look at these four seals and these four four horsemen, and they they all need to go together to convey the idea that it's difficult times. People are only thinking about themselves, jockeying for position. They want control. And God's people get caught right up in the middle of it. What's the lesson that we learn from these four horsemen? I think the lesson that we learn here, and we're going to find this in so many different places in Revelation, but here I just want to go ahead and point it out here, since this is the first place where we really find it. God is in control, regardless of how bad things get. God is in control. God's people need to remember this. Of all ages, first century and beyond, wherever. But look at what it says in verse 2. Where do I get this from? Well, look at verse 2. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow and a crown, was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. How does this guy have the ability to conquer? Because God allowed him that ability. He allowed him to have that authority. Look at verse 4. Out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. How is this war and this bloodshed happening? Well, God allows this stuff to happen. You look at verse 8. I looked and behold, horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth how are these people able to do anything God allows it now that may make us feel uncomfortable a little bit if it does remember Job you may remember Job chapter 1 where Satan comes to this heavenly court scene whatever it was And God asked Satan, what are you doing? Well, I'm just going around to and fro on the earth. And God says, have you tried my servant Job? No, I haven't tried your servant Job because you've blessed this guy. You've put a hedge around him. You've given him everything that he has. He's not going to turn his back on you because you continue to give him stuff. God said, give him a try. And Satan sure did. He gave him a try. First of all, he wasn't able to touch him the first time, but the second time he was. And then the whole book is about Job asking God, what's all of this about? Why am I being allowed to suffer like this? I haven't done anything wrong. I've been faithful. But at the end of the book, Job finally understands. I don't get it, but I don't need to get it. I trust you, and that's what's most important. Trust God. God's in control. We might not always know why things happen the way that they do. But we do need to know this. God is in control. And that leads us to the second lesson that's at the end of all of this, we need to trust God's judgment and control. Now let's look at, judge, at seals 5 and 6 where judgment actually occurs. You look at uh, the fifth seal in verse 9. He opened the fifth seal and under the altar of the, uh, the souls of those who had been slain. Why are they under the altar? Well, that's where the blood from the lamb drips, right? That they sacrifice on that altar. And so it's no coincidence that the souls of those that have been slain for the word of God are pictured as the image of being under the altar. They'd been slain for the word of God, for the witness they'd borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe, and they're told to rest just a little bit longer because the number of the fellow servants of their brothers is not complete yet. There's more that's going to be killed, as they themselves have. And so, this image is in chapter, f- or this uh, fifth seal is all about these Christians wondering when's judgment going to happen? When are we going to be avenged? Well, God has a plan. That's what these people need to understand. God has a plan. There are more people that are going to die because of the sinfulness of the world, but God has a plan. And it's being, they're being given protection <clears throat> and being sealed from those who dwell on the earth. Let me say this now because we'll see this later. Your translation may say earth dwellers instead of those who dwell on the earth. But this is always bad in Revelation. People who dwell on the earth are never good in the book of Revelation. Everybody dwells on the earth, right? Christians and non-Christians alike. In the book of Revelation, however, there is a big difference. Earth dwellers is always a negative term in Revelation. So just remember that moving forward. But that's what they're trying to be saved from. But this white robe of victory is given to them that may remind us of chapter 3 in verse 18 with what Jesus said to the seven churches. It reminds us of what we're going to read next in chapter 7 where those the great multitude is given white robes and they're waving these palm branches of victory. They're being given a sign a symbol of their victory but they're also told to wait. Just a little bit longer. Because God has a plan. At the time, they don't know exactly what that plan is. But they have to trust God's plan. Which leads us to the very next lesson. God's people must trust His judgment. He is in control. But we have to trust the fact that He's in control. And whatever happens, we may not understand it. But at the end of the day... He has a plan that's going to work out according to His purpose and it's going to be what is best for us. And we have to trust that. In chapter 6 verses 10 and 11, these souls are praying to God, wanting comfort, wanting to be helped. And I find it interesting that in chapter 7 verses 1 through 3, you find something very similar happening there. The servants of our God on their foreheads. Protection is going to be given. May not come on our time, but it's going to be given. And then in the sixth sixth seal, John looks and there's a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the moon full. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit uh, when shaken by the gale. The sky, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What in the world does this mean? Well, when we read the Old Testament, these are images that simply mean judgment. That's all it means. Joel chapter 2, verses 31 and 32 Isaiah chapter 34, other places in Scripture, we have these same images. And all it's referring to in context is judgment upon God's enemies. And so all it is is just apocalyptic literature for judgment. But when we get to verse 15, we find exactly who's included in this judgment. And you'll notice seven groups of people mentioned, which means nobody. None of the earth dwellers are excluded from this. You've got kings, great people, generals, the rich, the powerful, the slave, and the free. They all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, trying to escape from this judgment. Even though it's for a short time, going back to the quarter number, the fraction one-fourth, it's... Everybody, all of the earth dwellers are affected in some way by this judgment. They are being judged. And so judgment comes on God's time, not our own. But it does come and we trust Him to do what is best, what He knows ought to be done. So we move on. I've got a lot more information on this slide, I understand that. The 144,000, this is a number that we get or an image we get from Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9 you have people being sealed, they have the mark on their forehead. They have the mark on their forehead, that means they are not going to suffer the judgment of God. The big difference between here and Ezekiel chapter 9 is in Ezekiel chapter 9 you're distinguishing between God's people who were idolatrous and God's people who are not. A lot of God's people did not worship idols. They had the mark on their foreheads, symbolizing that they were going to be protected from this destruction that was coming upon everybody else. The same image is carried over here to mark God's people as protected from the judgment that comes on everybody else, i.e. the earth dwellers. And so you've got a a group, the 144,000 in verse 4, and then you've also got a group, the great multitude. I believe, I'm not saying I'm right on this, I believe that these are two different groups that enjoy the same blessings. And here's why. In verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. That's very specific. But what do you read in verse 9? After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before their Lamb. And so the first the 144,000 here are referring to what I think Jews that have left Judaism come to the church and accepted Jesus as their Savior. The great multitude is everybody else from the nations that did that. Now I say that, we get to chapter 14 and we're going to find 144,000 again. I think that refers to everybody. But why is 144,000 significant? Last week, what did we say number 12 was? It's the spiritual number. 12 times 12 is 144. And so these are God's people, spiritually protected. They've got this seal. And what have they been sealed from? Verse 3, Do not harm the earth or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Another way to say it, in verse 14, I say to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And so they're being protected from this destruction, from this suffering that they're having to go through because of all of the other nations around them or all the other people around them and the judgment (laughs) on them. This is a wonderful blessing for God's people to enjoy in this context. And we've got the enjoyment of these people being given in some pretty unique ways. First of all, in verse 14, it says, they have, been, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And you put something, wash something in blood, what's going to happen? It's going to stain it. But not with God's people. With God's people, things are different. You wash something in the blood of the Lamb of God, and it becomes completely white completely pure, completely victorious. And also, Dennis, I don't know if you read this or not, but your song's on being a shepherd, on God being our shepherd. Notice verse 15, "...therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple." He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb's going to be their shepherd. How weird is that? Works out perfectly with Old Testament Scripture, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. It's the son of David. My servant David is going to be your shepherd. Ezekiel 34 is all about the shepherds of Israel not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They made sure that they were fed. They made sure that they had the best clothing. They made sure that they had everything that they needed. But so many of the people of Israel are wandering around in need and the shepherds of Israel are not doing anything about it. It's in that context that Ezekiel prophesies the fact that God Himself will rise up to be the shepherd of His people. And we find that image here with the Lamb of God Himself turning out to be our great and good shepherd. What's the lesson? The lesson is that God's people can look forward to a time of peace and protection even during suffering. Because God protects His people. God allows His people to suffer But at the end of the day, He's going to protect them and make sure that they have everything that they need. And so we come to the seventh and final seal where prayers are answered. The Lamb opened the seventh seal, and as He did so, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, probably just a time frame referring to, hey, judgment's happening. Judgment's happening on the people. This is significant. And so we have silence for about half an hour. That may be what that half hour silence refers to. It could be just be something for effect, suspense, and added suspense. But then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. That's what are going to be blown next week in the, in the, uh, the chapters looking ahead. The lesson is that we need to continue to pray, especially when times are difficult. Sometimes we can become discouraged when things get difficult and stop praying. We may not lose our faith, but maybe we try a little bit more on our own to get through the difficulties of life rather than calling to each other and especially calling to God to help us get through it. What I love about figures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too is we find them praying often, even when times are difficult. In Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah was facing a lot of persecution from his very own people. People that he knew from his hometown and just his spiritual uh, Israelite friends. In chapter 20, he contemplated quitting. But when he contemplated that, he cried out to God, and he come to the realization that I can't. There's a fire in my bones and I can't hold it in. I've got to speak. I've got to be a preacher. That's how he felt about it. But I find it interesting that he came to that realization as he was praying to God. And you remember Jesus, don't you? In Luke chapter 22 when he was in the garden, crying profusely, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. Prayer is important, especially during the times of difficulty. And I think we learned that from those souls who were crying out under the altar, How long, O Lord? They were given victory, but their answers for judgment and for protection and for final security were answered later when the judgment came. So as we close this morning, the seven seals basically accomplished two things. They execute judgment on the earth dwellers and they also seal or protect God's people from the destruction of everything else. But it all falls into the heading of what the entire book is about. It seems like the world is winning, but God is the one that's actually winning. And we need to remember that. We need to stay patient, We need to persevere. We need to remember who we are and the unique lives that we have been called to live in Christ and how that makes us different from everyone and everything that happens here on earth. It may be that you're here this morning and you haven't been persevering like you need to. Maybe you've been a little bit impatient. Maybe you've tried a little bit too much on your own to get through the struggles of life, but you realize you can't do it on your own. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ at Green Forest and you need God to help you through it. Let the Lamb shepherd you to safety this morning. It may be that you're here this morning and you're not a child of God and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Let God add you to His church so that you can be sealed and protected from the judgment that's coming on the world whenever God decides. If there's anything you need from the congregation or from God, We ask that you come now as we stand and sing.